Again, I want to welcome you and I'm excited to share with you this morning the completion of this series that we've been walking through. But I want to just, before I kind of dive in, do you realize in the scheme of the redemptive plan of God, do you realize what, what, we, what, what happened when, as we sang in that, that last song, when the veil was completely torn? Do you realize the intensity that is packed into that phrase for ages? People were, were forbidden to come to that point because of, of this veil that separated the inner holy place. And then there was another that would separate another holy of holies where the ark would sit and where only the high priest could go. And, and pre-Christ, that was the place where sin was atoned for. And, and so what we don't... what we the magnitude of what we, re, what we hear when we sing those songs is that when Christ came, he said no more. Tore the veil and said, all man has access to me through the blood of my son. That's intense. And this morning, I pray that as we have walked through the gospel series and, and as we continue it and finish it today, but let's remember last week when we talked about Jesus Christ and what he meant and what he did, let's not forget the intensity of what he overcame. Sin for everyone, one time paid for by Jesus Christ. So praise be to him this morning. As we worship him, we worship him not just with our song, but the meaning behind the song, knowing that it was through Jesus Christ that sin was atoned for. Two weeks ago, I went out for a, for a jog, and I'm not a jogger, so I'm not going to stand here and pretend to be one, but I did decide to go for one and begin that little process, and it was an absolutely incredible night. The moon was perfect, and the temperature was perfect. And so anytime I just have that opportunity, I love to just have some quiet time alone, uh, even if it sometimes is punishment to my body, it's still peaceful and therapeutic. And so as, I, as normally happens in those quiet times alone, uh, my mind began to wander. And through prayer and meditation and just truly thinking about life and what it really means, which is a very deep, deep subject, by the way, for an evening jog, I began to think specifically about my life. I have a tendency to be such a creature of habit. You know, I wake up, I hop in the shower each day and get dressed and head to work and I have a cup of coffee or two or five and I take a lunch break, I head back to work. I get off at 4.30, I head home, I eat dinner, I play with the kids, help get them ready for bed, do a little reading sometimes, exercise sometimes, take a shower, watch a couple episodes of The Office and fall asleep on the couch and that a lot of times is, the, is my life over the course of a day. And the cycle continues on and on and on. And I believe all of us find ourselves in a cycle that of continuous things that we constantly do. And so life then becomes that simplified for me. That becomes life. And we all have a tendency to fall into a routine of life that not only becomes our life, but it becomes the entirety of life. When we think of life, we don't necessarily think of life universal, but my life. And that's what becomes life to us. And our life becomes very micro. We see it only through the lenses of how it impacts and affects us and those around us. 
We find ourselves limited in our view of life by our present realities. We can't even foresee what could be because we limit it by what is. And we find ourselves limited on our ability to see the world outside what is right around us. But as I was thinking about this, I began to think about the cosmic happenings all around us that compose life. You know, is it just me or does it not just kind of weird you out a little bit to think that right now you and I are sitting in a chair, sitting on the floor of a building, but this building is sitting on this huge giant ball of dirt that we call the earth that just so happens to be spinning rapidly in outer space. And not only is it spinning like this, but it is revolving around this blaze of fire called the sun at about 60,000 miles per hour. And yet our worldview is decided upon and defined by what is tangible, what we can touch, what composes our life, what we see and experience right in front of us. When yet around us, life is uncomprehensible. We cannot fathom everything that's taking place. And I think when it comes to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we often limit our view of the gospel to how it impacts us individually and those in our circle of influence. The gospel becomes about me and you and us. And I hope that through this series you've been able to see that the gospel The gospel we've been talking about is not only about how it affects you, but this was God's universal plan for redemption for all of his creation. His universal plan, this was from the beginning. He had this plan in place to redeem the entire world. And the more I think that we understand the simplicity of the gospel message, the more we will be able to see this. Last week we talked about Jesus Christ and And as we talk about the gospel being for all of creation, you know, Jesus was not American. He was not associated with a political party. He was a revolutionary of his time. He brought an upside-down kingdom that was absolutely incredible. But despite what he wasn't, he was and he is and will forever be Lord of all. So the gospel message at its core leads us to an understanding that Christians and non-Christians alike are in desperate need for the gospel in their lives. There is no gospel for believers and gospel for non-believers. There's just the gospel. There's not a a gospel message for those of us who have kind of lived life this certain way and have a better understanding. So we have gospel. And then those over here who are foreign to God and are distant from him and do not understand his ways. And then there's gospel. No, there's gospel for all. Christians, we struggle with idolatry and so do non-Christians. Christians struggle with the battle against the sinful nature in us and so do non-Christians. Christians battle over a refocusing of priorities, and so do non-Christians. So the only way to overcome the sins in either situation is by recognizing the sufficiency of the gospel and upholding the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the universal fix to the sin problem we all have. We talked last week about how Jesus Christ was sent into the world after 400 years of silence. A man acquainted with grief, coming after years of prophecy on a mission with an upside-down kingdom. 
We learned in Romans 5, as Dan shared, that without Jesus Christ, we are absolutely helpless. We absolutely have no hope without him. But in our state of helplessness, while we were still very much sinners and very much foreign to God and very much hostile to the gospel, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is good news. This is great news because just as we were reconciled to God by his death, just as he made the way of reconciliation through the death and shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, we are now saved through his life. Because the story, as we shared last week, did not end. The death paid the atonement. The death paid the price of you and our sin debt, which we have talked and recognized that, the, that the, the cost of sin is death. And so death was paid. And through that reconciliation, we had the opportunity at life. But through Christ dying and then overcoming death and being raised from the dead, we have salvation through his life. We are not guilty. We're no longer hostile to the kingdom of God. We are all either for the spread of the gospel or we aren't. We are either hostile to the gospel or at peace through the gospel. So as we think about the gospel, I pray that we fall at his feet and worship at the master plan that he is carrying out. How just at our point of desperation, Jesus Christ uneventfully came into our world. They were looking for a king and not a homeless former carpenter. They were expecting a throne where they would gather at King Jesus' feet. But what they got was a servant who washed their feet. Who, who did not bust onto the landscape and ascend to his throne, distant from everyone. But he finds himself humbling before his disciples and washing their feet, which was the most, just the worst servant job possible. And Jesus humbles himself to not just show us the way to servanthood, but to show us the way to the downward descent within servanthood. Romans 5.11 says that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Before Christ, no access. After Christ, complete access. Through Jesus Christ, we have the way in which we can be reconciled. But this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how that knowledge of that is not enough. This past summer, we had uh, an opportunity. We, my kids are starting to get a little older, and they're starting to get to where uh, they're trying new things. And, you know, we've, you know the, the, the uh, training wheels have been off the bike one time, and uh, they're back on now. And we have done, uh, we, we really got them involved. They wanted to try swimming, and so they're doing the swimming thing now with their floaties and and all that good stuff and kind of not, not swimming with floaties where I'm still like had the death grip on them but actually floating around doing their own thing. Well, this past summer, I decided that now's the time they need to try to jump off the diving board. It's a pretty big diving board. But I said, now, now's the time. We've got to try this out. And so, you know, got both of them around and, you know, all right, look, we're going to put the floaties on. Everything's cool. I'm going to have a little floaty thing around me and I'm going uh, to go out there. I'm going to catch you. You will not go underwater. I might be completely underwater and holding you up like this, but you, you won't go underwater. Well, we got ready to do it. And, you know, I, I, I show, you know all the kid, cool kids are doing it. You know, good peer pressure and just saying, look, you've got to try this thing out. And they went up the stairs and down the stairs and up the stairs and down the stairs. Well, I have one, one child, who is very, Emma, who is very, very adamant about things. And I have Anna, who is not. And uh, Emma finally decides that she's going to do it. 
And Anna, on the other hand, informed me that she would wait until she turned 18. And I said, that sounds like a good plan for dating as well. So let's just make 18 the, the, the age where we start everything. And, but Emma decided she was going to do it. So she goes back and forth and back and forth. And there's kids, you know, lined up. They're getting a little restless now because she'd walk to the end of the board. And then she would turn around and walk back this way. And we were pacing this thing. And I'm floating in the water, you know, come on now. And uh, eventually, though, she, despite her fear... She knew, I, I mean, I had walked through the whole steps. This is what's fixing to happen, okay? You're going to go up, you're going to come to the end, and you're just going to fall over, and I'm going to catch you, and you're not going to go underwater. She knew exactly what was going to take place. But there still was this fear and this anxiety of actually doing it. But finally, she took the plunge. She jumped off, and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. She didn't go underwater. I caught her. You know, and she went to the side and she loved it. Now, we don't just, we're not Olympian divers now or anything. She's not ready to go do it right away, but she trusted me. She believed what I said and she did it and it came true. And so this morning, I want to emphasize that the emotions and the experience, the knowledge about the person of Jesus Christ is not enough to save your soul and transform your life. Until you take the plunge, until you move from a conceptual understanding of Jesus to a personal belief in your hearts through faith, through salvation, you never experience Jesus, only the notion of him. And knowledge is not enough. The scriptures teach us that even the demons believe. So just having that knowledge is not enough. Having a knowledge and an approval are not enough. That, hey, I know, I've, I listened last week. I've listened to the first three steps of the gospel series. I'm there. I believe it. I understand it. And I, I think it's right. I, I believe it. But knowledge and approval is not enough because true salvation occurs when we trust and believe in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life with God. This is a true saving faith, a submission of our life, a a death of our old life and taking on the new life in Christ. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And guess what? I will give you rest. So this morning, we're going to wrap up our gospel series by talking about faith and salvation and how the gospel finds its way from this overarching redemptive plan of God to the depths of your heart and what happens through this moment. When we recognize the way things were created to be and we recognize through God's calling the sin in our life and we recognize the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and then we believe. So I want us to talk about how this becomes personal to us. And as I prepared this, I'm going to be honest with you, it was a little difficult to prepare this week because the message is quite simple this morning because the work has been done. The message is, is, is very simple. And so I, what I want us to see, though, is through this simple step of faith in the belief of the gospel message, what happens inside of us that's different. And that's what I hope for us to accomplish in the next few minutes. So if you will, I want to join together and let's pray that God will teach us this morning. Our Father, I thank you for the beauty of your word. And God, not that the book is just Beautiful in itself, God, but it's beautiful because it describes your nature and your characteristics and your beauty. It teaches us how to live to look more like Christ. So, God, I pray that as we walk through some texts this morning, God, I pray that you be our teacher. God, that you allow your words to penetrate hearts. And, God, we trust you, God, to, to allow the Scripture to be interpreted correctly, God, and the Scripture to fall into a soft heart 
that, that changes it, God, and that we walk out of here differently. God, with that everybody in this room, through this gospel series, God, that no one in this room will walk away from here without you as their Savior. That we'll be willing to overcome fear, God, and just take the plunge. That we will be willing to overcome uh, a legalistic approach to salvation, God, and truly experience your grace and mercy for the first time. And God, we just trust that as we study, your spirit will be working in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is salvation through faith? And I want to just walk through some steps with you and some scripture to show you this. But first of all, as we come to a point to where we understand Jesus Christ and who he was, as we discussed last week, we are called into this salvation uh, process. You know, our journey in life to the point of salvation in Jesus Christ begins with a call. Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. There are many different varying views both within the church and outside of the church of ways to come to the Father. There are different uh, people that teach that there are alternative ways to find our way into salvation with God and eternal life with him. But let me tell you what the word says. The word says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no man can come to the Father but by me. In the book of Mark 1.15, Jesus begins his ministry on earth. The groundwork for the kingdom he would bring was laid when he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, listen to this, repent and believe in the gospel. In Acts 2.14, Peter and the disciples had received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then Peter goes on to lay down this sermon that verse 37 says it cut to the heart And immediately those that were around and heard the message through their convictions, they said, brothers, what shall we do? The calling was strong on their hearts. They had heard the message. They had heard about Jesus Christ. They had heard what that meant for humanity. And they recognized that that was not the way things were in their life. And they say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter responds by saying, repent and and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We learned through our series on parables that Jesus taught in parables and he revealed the truth to some and concealed it to some. And 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful by whom, listen to this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. John six forty four says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So it is God who draws us to him for the saving of our souls. When we are called, it does not mean that we are elite. It does not mean that we are cutting edge. It means that God is going to accomplish in us what we could not accomplish. So in salvation, there's a calling, a drawing to the understanding of the gospel, an opening of the eyes of our heart, a recognition of sin, a repentance of the old life, the, the putting, it, putting it to death, murdering the old ways of doing things, and then the personal acceptance of the gospel. And through this gospel, we learn that we are purchased with a price. And so what I want us to do is I want, we're going to take some text in Romans. So if you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. And that's where we're going to kind of settle. And I just want to take some text to finish up th- this discussion of the gospel and just walk through some, some text and let it speak to us this morning. But through this, we recognize that we are purchased with a price. Romans 3, and we're going to be, begin reading with verse 21. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteous of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Now, let me tell you, this is in the middle of a discussion of, is it for Jews or Gentiles and showing all this separation and, 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 and who is the gospel for? What is Jesus, who is te- Jesus' teachings for? And he goes on to say there in verse 22, there is no distinction. You know why? Verse 24, verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul is teaching right in the middle of this discussion. And he says, you know what? It doesn't matter because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in your life, the application today is none of us in here are better than anybody else. None of us in here are in a more rescuable situation than others. We are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And this is where we lean and need the righteousness that we receive through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And to me, these scriptures, I just see the gospel all over these verses. Verse 23, all have sinned. Verse 24, we are only justified or presented as not guilty through grace as a gift. Redemption in verse 24, true salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And finally, we receive it by faith. So we see the process of what takes place in, in salvation. Yet for many of us, I believe that the breakdown in our understanding of the gospel happens right here. To me, this is one of the pivotal moments of the gospel where we break down. Because for many of us, we feel we have to have a role in the process. We feel we have to do something. We've got to have, I mean, it can't be that easy that Jesus died for my sin and through my accepting of that, powerless as I may be, through that acceptance and that receiving of that message, God can change my life? I've got to have a role in this. I've got to have clean things up. I've got to be in a position to be able to receive this. And Jesus says, you can't do it. You are helpless. I'm absolutely fascinated by the story of, of Abby Sunderland, who was a, her brother solo circumnavigated the world in a, in a uh, sailboat. And at 16 years of age, she attempted this incredible feat. Age 16, by herself, she was going to get into a, a sailboat and sail around the entire world. At 16, I was not prepared to sail around the world. This girl here is ready to go do it. And she, she sets out. Her parents that she'd been on the sea since she was a kid. Her brother had already been all the way around the world. And now she was attempting. And at age 16, she goes. But she runs into trouble. You should read the, the book. It's incredible. At age 16, 2,000 miles from the western Australian coast, she hits trouble. So when I say she hits trouble, she is 2,000 miles from land alone out in this mighty sea. Because what happens here, she knew everything possible to do with a sailboat. She knew how to communicate. She knew how to watch the gauges and the dials and whatever in a sailboat, because I'm just talking now. And she knew how to do all of these things. But the one thing she can't control is nature. So 2,000 miles off the coast of Australia in the middle of this great sea, what they refer to as a, as a rogue wave 
came and hit the boat. Now, this, is, this wave is not like a tsunami or a, any type of, of predictive wave. But this is when there is a combination of the right undercurrent and the right pull of the sea and the right wind and everything just completely engulfs the boat. And so 2,000 miles in the ocean, this hits her boat and it flips her boat completely 360 degrees around, completely tearing off the mast. So that's the end of sailing and completely disabling the boat. No communication anymore. No power. Just her on this boat at 16. Absolutely helpless. Shipwrecked. And her ability to communicate was completely gone. And in reading her blogs and looking on the the website, she said that she had no idea how she would be rescued. But she went on to say she just had to cling to the hope that she would be found. And in our sin, we were helpless. We were shipwrecked. No ability to save ourselves. No ability to overcome what had happened in our life because of sin. Sin hit us and flipped us for a loop and completely dismantled our ability to find our way back out. We were stranded and alone and helpless, but rescue came we had no way of knowing how it was going to come but through God's word we learn that Jesus Christ came and he made the way in Romans 10 if you'll flip a couple pages over Romans 10 I want to read starting with verse 8 the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have a promise of redemption And through this, we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus. So we experience the calling of God in our lives. We recognize that Jesus Christ paid this price for our sin. So our redemption brings us into new life. This understanding, this this taking the salvation through Jesus Christ paves the way to new life. Romans chapter 6. And I want us to read beginning with verse 1. I want you to see what happens when, when when we murder the old life. And God brings this new life. Look what happens with us. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to to continue in sin that grace may may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For it... For, uh, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, it was crucified, it was murdered with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So we see there, we, just as Christ, in our, as we witness in our baptism, the submersion, just as we put to death the old self, that being the symbol through baptism, the symbol of us being raised out of that water is a reminder that we walk in a newness of life. Scriptures teach us that if any man is Christ, he, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. And now, as we learn through Romans 6, we live by a different way. I pray that we do not cheapen the grace and mercy of God to where it only has an impact on our eternal destiny. I pray that Jesus Christ, as he calls us into a new life, that we will accept that and we will serve him here in this life with the promise of the next. So we experience new life in him. We're made alive through Jesus Christ. And through this new life, we bring a message of hope and love to the world. So, salvation comes, new life. And then we read in Romans about what it means to be justified. And so, I want us to know that through salvation, you and me, we are justified through what Christ did. Completely justified. Romans 5, beginning with verse 12. Therefore... Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift, check this out, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse uh, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Justification is an instant act of God in which he says forgiven. Because of Christ's righteousness belonging to us and through his righteousness to declare us righteous are justified. We look in verse 21, and sin reigned in death in our former life, but now through the justification of Jesus Christ, grace now reigns. So so do you see the changing of power? As Jesus justifies us, sin no longer reigns in our life. So in your life, the question is, is sin no longer reigning? Have you submitted yourself to the rule of grace in your life? But I'm careful to talk about that and the the intensity of living by the rule of grace in your life because there is another side to that. And I pray that we let us not see this as a pass to live like we want to do to two because grace is 
is there as part of the sanctification process and grace allows us to do whatever it is that we want to do. Because it's, we need to recognize not only are we justified, not only does justification come, not guilty, covered in the righteousness of God, forgiven, but also we are being sanctified. Romans 6, beginning with verse 15, says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness... I'm speaking in human terms now because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know that our life in Christ is a process. You and I are growing and we are changing. We are clay and the potter is molding and shaping and forming. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's, it's tough to be shaped the way he's shaping us. But he is constantly working through the sanctification process to shape us back to the way in which he created us to be. He is constantly ushering in a new kingdom that is forming and shaping and bringing it back to the way he created it to be. It's a progressive work of God that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. And this process of sanctification will not reach completion until death. And when Christ returns, in verse 22, if you look back there in Romans 6, verse 22, it says... We have become slaves of God, and the fruit now you get leads to sanctification. And what's the end of sanctification? Eternal life. And the lost desperately need to know this about us. They need to know that the difference between us and them is nothing more than the blood. They need to know that, that we don't even need to try to put and pull off this perfection act because we are not. We are in a process. So do you see the difference between those that are lost and those that are saved is those that are lost are foreign and hostile to the gospel. Those who are saved have now accepted the gospel, have murdered the old life. Sin no longer reigns, but now grace reigns. And we are in a process where we are then justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. And between now and as long as, as God allow things to still be around here, we are in a process. So the difference between us and them is God is sanctifying us. He is doing something in our life through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we are nowhere near completion. We are just forgiven. And for us, as the church universal, to present anything differently to the lost world, that you have to be a certain way before you can come to the cross, is just false. 
Because you and I are not at a point of perfection. You and I are at a point of desperation where we need the blood of Jesus over our life. And that is their only hope as well. And so may we be a people who live as those being sanctified, those that have, not those who have already attained. And finally, we see that we are, through this salvation process, no longer are we, are not just are we slaves to righteousness, but we are sons and daughters. I love the illustration of sons and daughters. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 12, and this is where we'll finish. So then brothers, we are debtors. That's a fact. We are debtors, not to the flesh though, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, listen to this, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You and I have the beauty of being involved with the un- an unbelievable grace that says that you no longer are slaves to sin because you are my sons and my daughters. Heirs to God and fellow heirs with Christ. I think a lot of times we find ourselves crawling back to Christ very much like the prodigal son. We have been in a distant land in life. We have found ourselves doing things we are not proud of, nor should we be. And so all we expect is if we can just slip in through grace and just get a little bit of it to cover us, we'll gladly eat the pods that the pigs are eating. We'll gladly just eat like one of the servants. And you know what Christ says to us? He says, kill the fattened calf. Put a ring on your finger. Break out the robes. Because heaven rejoices over the lost. Because we are not just, we do fall at Christ's feet very much in need of mercy and grace. Just like the prodigal son returned. And he returned expecting to be treated a certain way for his acts. And he says, no. Because you're my son. And you will always be my son. So no matter where you have found yourself in this room... Jesus looks down on us and he and God sees us as his sons and daughters with heirship with Christ. So as we've talked about the gospel, you know, I ask you, what, what does it mean to you? We've got to get the gospel. We've got to. It's the centrality of, of scripture. It's the apex of the whole universal story we find in this word. The thread of the gospel message is weaved through the whole story of the Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation. The story of the gospel is being taught and is being revealed. And we can isolate certain stories and we can teach them. And there's definite truths found in those. But in the end, when you set it back down into scripture, it's part of the gospel. And so you and I must recognize that. And I ask you this morning, do you have knowledge or do you have faith? Do you believe in concept, all of these things, or do you believe 
in faith? Have you always just had your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or do you have your own? And I want you to listen this morning. This has eternal implications. This is big time stuff. Without the blood, the rest of the teachings of God's word about what it means to pursue righteousness is not taking place until we are sons and daughters of God. So this morning, we have a lot of things that, that, that you could be dealing with. And I just pray, as I've prayed over the course of this week, that during this time, if you do not have a saving faith in your heart, if you truly don't have a saving faith in your heart, God is calling you to that. It's time, as, this, as, as Peter spoke when he preached after Pentecost, and as Christ spoke in Mark when he first began his earthly ministry, repent and be baptized. Repent, believe the gospel. For some of you, as we've looked at this process, God may have revealed to you that, you know what, I've, at some point I have accepted and embraced and received the gospel message, but you have never been obedient through baptism. And, and I know that that becomes cliche in our churches that, you know, you know, what's the big deal with baptism? It's God, it's obedience to God. He tells you when you receive this, and we learn in Romans, you should be baptized because just as, as we are baptized, that we are put to death with, with Christ and we are raised, we are raised to an newness of life. And while there's nothing magical that happens in that water, it's an obedience to, the, to God's commandments for us. So some of you need to go ahead and get that straight. You need to have that, that obedience in your life. And for all of us, no one immune to this, for all of us, we must pray that God continues to show us ways to serve him deeper, to serve him more faithfully, to do, offer the gifts that we have to this church body to be able to reach the city and community right around us. So this morning, as we wrap up our gospel uh, series, I want to take just the next few minutes as our band comes and as they will be leading us in worship. And I want this to be a time of some real, real things to take place in your heart. I want this to be a time where, look, there are going to be people in the back of the room, and if you need to talk with them, if you need to be baptized, if you need to be saved, if there are things you need to get straight to make your life a part of this gospel story so that you aren't hostile to the gospel anymore, then I want you to get up and I want you to just walk back there and let those, let those guys talk to you. Today is a day of salvation, and I pray that you will experience it if you have not. So I want us to pray together and ask that the Spirit convict and pull our hearts as he needs to. Father, I thank you for this message, God. I thank you for the reminder to me how you have shown me the importance of the gospel in my life. God, that even though at the age of 13 I experienced a saving faith, God, I rely on the, the reign of grace in my life every day I live. God, I feel like Paul, that in my, my heart there is this war that is waging inside of me because the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. And there is this war inside of me and God, that's why I call on the truth of the gospel message in my life every day. That, the gra that grace might reign in my life. And that grace will not just be a blanket to be able to live as I want to live. But that grace, God, will compel me to live life differently. To murder the old self. To murder the sin in my life. And to live for you. 
God, I'm thankful for your scripture that teaches us, God, that we have in Galatians, God, we have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of us. God, may our lives reflect lives that, are, that have the fruit of Jesus Christ living through us. The Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. May that thought alone end our complacency. May that thought alone end our inability to, co to commit to anything. God, may that thought alone burden our hearts to reach those that are lost for your kingdom, God. Not so that we can grow this church, but so we can grow your kingdom. And Father, that is our prayer this morning. I pray that you will allow, if there's fear in anyone's heart in this room, God, if, if there is anxiety about what they know they need to do, God, please help them to see that the gospel means so much more than just a brief moment of, of discomfort. And may they come and may they talk with someone and truly leave here changed and different, God, because that is our prayer. As a church, we desire to get the gospel so that, God, we can serve you most effectively. So, God, I just pray that you orchestrate this time. You move as you see fit. And, God, through everything, we always give you the glory for it. So I ask this in Jesus' name.